All right, well, let's get into the word this morning, and I'm, I'm so excited. I, I, I was a little hesitant to go here because it felt uh, overwhelming what we're going to be talking about today. Um, we're talking about the power of the blood of Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2 and Ezekiel 18, Genesis 2 and Ezekiel chapter 18. And we're going to be talking, I felt led of the Lord to talk about the power of the blood of Jesus because I believe that there is actually a revelation that the church needs renewed about the blood of Jesus. And what has been made available to us for those who believe in him, for those who have been covered by the grace of his blood, what does that mean? What has, it, what has he spoken over us? What has he made available to us? And we recently talked about the power of communion. Uh, and, and how it's more than just a traditional thing that we do. That there really is, a, it is a gift from the Lord, Jesus himself, where we can come and receive from him and receive power for deliverance, for breakthrough, for salvation, for healing. There are so many things that the Lord has provided through the blood. And really, I was like, you can't talk about communion without talking about the blood. And so I wanted to talk a little bit more about that. And so as we open our word together, let's just go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. And Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is life. And Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes by your spirit, Lord, to see the things that you are, are wanting to want us, want us to see, the, to hear the things that you want us to hear. Speak, Lord. Our hearts are ready in Jesus' name. We all said amen. 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 Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 17. It says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? All right? All right. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely, what? Die. You shall surely die. Now, I had you go to Ezekiel 18, verse 4. It says, behold, all the souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. Notice, the soul who sins shall die. And so here we see the Lord is saying, I am the Lord of souls. He is the one. This doesn't mean that, this of course doesn't mean that every soul has yielded to the Lord. How many of you know that's just not true? But this is saying that he reserves the right to say what happens to a soul when a soul sins. Okay? And this is important because as soon as people step into the narrative as to what sin is or isn't, we have a problem, right? When people step in, and rather than taking scripture at face value, people create their own theologies, their own beliefs, their own realities to live by that are not rooted in scripture itself. And typically, those theologies are typically meant to serve one's own choices and one's own rebellions. Okay, we see this happening all over, amen? But when we do this, there's a danger there because we not only become our own theologian, we become our own king and judge. But what does the Lord say? He says, the souls are mine. All the souls are mine. 
And notice it says, the soul who sins shall die. Everybody say die. So we have a problem here. The soul who sins shall die. Now we live under the new covenant. We live after Calvary. Jesus has died. He has paid for our sins. He has ascended. He is in heaven right now, at, at, sitting on the throne. And everybody who believes in him will have life with him forever. But I think we need to still understand that sin is a big deal. We kind of, in the church, sin can oftentimes be swept under the, run, under the, under the rug where we'll say things like, well, well Jesus, Jesus has it. Like, nobody's perfect. Jesus has got it. So just go ahead and live your life. Do what you got to do. And yeah, you're going to sin. You're going to mess up. And that is true. No one is perfect, right? But does that mean we take sin lightly? Absolutely not. You see, sin is a big deal. And we need to understand that. But the origin of the gospel is not man's sin. The origin of the gospel is the love of God. How many of you know God was not reactionary when he made the plan to give Jesus his only son for us. It was already the underscore of everything that had happened. When he created the worlds, when he created the heavens and the earth, guess what? He had you in mind. When he created all things, he did it through the veil and through the lens and the origin of love. Amen? And so God was not reactionary to sin. He was compelled by love and the gospel has dealt with sin beautifully and perfectly. But here we see the soul who sins shall die. It's a big problem. And we can look at this and we can say, well, that's the Old Testament. And that's true. But look at what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 24. This is Jesus speaking. And listen to what he says. He says, therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he you will die in your sins. I want us to notice the origin of sin here. The origin of sin is not believing Jesus is who he says he is. I'm gonna say that again because we need to understand this. The origin of sin is not believing or having a revelation or an understanding that Jesus really is who he says he is that he is God Almighty, that he is the Son of God. And so we see the origin of sin, and Jesus says, if you do not believe that I am he. And so listen, here's Jesus. He's pointing to himself as the Messiah, as Adonai, as God. And he connects belief to his name. He connects belief to his name. Now, to believe, when we talk about do you believe, typically in our culture, we associate that, do you mentally agree with this fact or this ideal or this statement? But scriptural belief does not mean to just mentally agree. Scriptural belief literally means to cast your life upon, okay? To throw your life at, where you trust all that you are in him. And so when we recognize the character and the identity of Jesus, that it brings us to the only rightful response, which is, Lord, I give everything that I am to you. 
How many of you know we need a revelation of who Jesus is? Because until you know who he is, until you know his love for you and what he has done for you, you won't believe appropriately. If we only mentally agree that Jesus died for our sins, we're missing it. We have to believe it to the point where we say, Lord, I am, noth I am nothing without you. I have nothing without you. Therefore, I cast all that I am on you. It's the only worthy response of who he is, that you would give him everything. Somebody say amen. That is belief in Jesus. And so here, Jesus is connecting a few things. First, death is a result of sin. But second, the origin of sin is you don't cast your life upon me because you don't know who I am. You see, if you know Jesus, there is only one rightful response to cast your life on him. And so there is this problem that we see where sin brings death. Now, what is death? Death is separation from God. It's where you are apart from him. So when God said in Genesis 2, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. When he took of the fruit, did he die immediately? No, not physically, right? He didn't drop dead when he took of the fruit, but he did die. His soul was dead. He was dead on the inside. He didn't die physically, but he did die that day and his physical body was just waiting to catch up with the reality of his, this death. But when you think about it, that is our culture today, right? There are so many people walking around in this life and they are physically alive, but on the inside, they are dead. There is a separation between them and God Almighty. And so there is a problem called sin that brought death, which is separation from God. And so how does the Lord deal with this death sentence? Because how many of you know that's what it is? Sin is a death sentence. So how does the Lord deal with that? Let's look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 12 through 13. And we touched on this when we talked through communion. Exodus 12, verse 12 through 13 says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Okay, so here we see the Lord is declaring war against the gods of Egypt, right? Now, these are not real gods. These aren't demigods. These are demons, right? But he is declaring war against the gods of Egypt. There is only one God. Somebody say amen. Okay? But these are demons that God is about to destroy. And notice what the, what the Lord says. He says, I will execute judgment. So the Lord is executing judgment upon Egypt, which speaks of sin. Okay? Egypt is what speaks of sin. And we have to remember that the Lord is still judging sin even to this day. There is still judgment for sin to this day. And so God is still holy. He is still a judge. 
The world is still Egypt, but just because Jesus died on the cross does not mean that those who reject him come under the grace of salvation, right? We need to receive, we need to believe who he is in order to receive that grace. And so here we see the Lord is going to execute judgment. And you, many of you know the story, right? There's 10 plagues, okay? Some believe that those represent the 10 plagues that would come against the 10 gods of Egypt, okay? But they are being judged because they would not let the people of God go. The reason that there was judgment is because they wouldn't release what is God's. I want you to think about that. What did God say? He said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. What is God saying? This people belongs to me. Now Pharaoh resisted. His heart was hard. He would not let the people go. And so, they, so the Lord is bringing judgment. How many of you know God calls the children of Israel his firstborn? It's his first. It's his precious gift. It's his inheritance. And so God is saying, I am going to strike all of Egypt's firstborn because they will not release my firstborn. Okay, are you guys with me? This is, this is so important to understand. Because whatever you hold on to in life, or whatever you keep from the Lord, whether it's your finances, right, or your tithes, what does God say? The tithe belongs to who? To me. Whatever you hold on to, whether it's your life, if you hold on to your life, right, doesn't Jesus say, if you hold on to your life, you will lose it, but if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. We must recognize that whatever we hold on from God, there is a repercussion or judgment for that because it belongs to him. But when we give God what is his, we receive everlasting life, resurrection life. I've shared this before, but there's, there were, there's been things and callings that I, I felt like I had from the Lord. And you would think that your calling is a straight line, right? Like, if, if that's what he's called me to do, I'm just going to step into this thing, right? But oftentimes, how many of you know that in order for the, the full anointing, in order for the full life, the full blessing that God has, it requires surrender and giving it to the Lord. If we can give to the Lord what is his, let me tell you, it comes back blessed. It comes back anointed. It comes back with resurrection life. Whoever tries to save his life will what? Lose it. You try to hold on to your life, you're gonna lose it. But whoever loses his life, whoever gives it, whoever casts it upon me will what? Find it. Listen, when we give to God what is his, he brings life to it. You need breakthrough in your finances? Give it to the Lord. You need breakthrough in your life? Give it to him. And somebody say amen. And so here's Egypt. They won't let go of what is God's. They won't let go of the firstborn. 
And so now God steps in as judge. So how does Israel, I want us to notice this now. He comes in to bring judgment to Egypt. How does Israel stay safe from God's judgment? Because they're in Egypt. Let's look at verse 13. Now the blood. Everybody say that. Let's say that together. Now the blood. Say it again. Now the blood. What is God's remedy for judgment? It's the blood. The remedy for judgment is the blood of Jesus. It says, now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So when the Lord sees the blood, when he sees the covering of the blood, the application of the blood, what does he do? He passes over and plague and judgment does not come near you. In other words, when the blood of Jesus has been applied to your life, it is then that you are protected from death. It is then that you are protected from separation from God. Amen? Listen to Leviticus 17.11. Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Let me ask you, why is blood so important to God? Because life is in the blood. Because the life is in the blood. So much so, listen to Genesis 9-6. God says in Genesis 9-6, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. And so we see this connection between the image of God and the image of man connected to each other and the role of blood. But let me ask you, why does God require death of a man if he sheds another man's blood? Because the life of the flesh, it's in the blood. Listen, God is the author of life. He is the author and the Lord of life and he is protective over that. What does he say? The souls are mine. The life is in the blood. And we see something beautiful here when we talk about the blood of Jesus because the blood of Jesus is sacred. The blood of Jesus is holy. The blood of Jesus is filled with life. Listen to Psalm 22, verse 14. This is Jesus this is a prophetic scripture of Jesus speaking from the cross. If you want to know what Jesus was thinking while he was on the cross, it's Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verse 14, Jesus is saying, I am poured out like water. I am poured out like water. Verse 20 says, deliver me from the sword, from the power of the dog. Let me tell you, he says what? I am poured out like water. Now, we know that water came from his side, right? His side was pierced and water came out, of course. But what was flowing from his being? It was the blood. It was the blood. There is a strong and beautiful connection between blood and 
life. There is life in the blood. There is life in the blood. Listen, if, if you walk away from here knowing one thing, know this, there is life in the blood. Amen? Now, I want to make this statement, and this is huge. The blood speaks. Everybody say that. The blood speaks. The blood speaks. Listen to Hebrews 12, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. How many of you know every time we gather together and we begin to sing praise and worship, that's exactly what we're doing. We're coming to the holy mountain. We're coming to the, into the presence of the Lord. You have come to Mount Zion into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, notice, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Listen, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks. How many of you know the blood speaks? The blood of Jesus says something. First of all, when we come together, when we gather together, we come into the presence of God by the Spirit, and we join heaven's worship. How many of you know that's why we sing together in the morning, right? We're not just singing songs. It's not just tradition. No, when we bring worship to the Lord appropriately with our whole heart, there is something that happens by the Spirit where we are joining the worship of heaven and the company of angels in that atmosphere. Somebody say amen. Listen, right now, Jesus is being worshiped by the angels, by the elders, and it is an atmosphere of praise and worship. Listen, when we join that and we sing and we give our attention to him and we're worshiping in spirit and truth, how many of you know we're right there in the throne room of heaven, amen? By the spirit. Then, and we come under the lordship of Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, who has sprinkled his blood on heaven's tabernacle. Listen, and that blood speaks better things than Abel. What does that mean? The blood speaks. What did Abel's blood speak? You guys remember that? Cain kills Abel. And God says what? He says, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out from the ground. But what did Abel's blood speak? It spoke judgment. Because he took the life. The blood cried out. And Cain was marked and he was cast out. But how many of you know the blood of Jesus speaks better things? I said the blood of Jesus speaks better things. So what does the blood of Jesus, Jesus speak today? Okay? I'm hearing some words and you're, you got it. I want to go through this. Listen to Revelation Chapter 5, Revelation 5, verse 8 says, Now when he, Jesus, had taken the scroll, 
the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb. Everybody say the lamb. How many of you know the lamb is blood talk? The lamb comes to what? To give his life. 24 elders, they fall down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are, by the way, the prayers of the saints. How many of you know your prayers never die? Does that motivate you a little bit? Your prayers are an incense to the Lord. I don't know about you, but I want to fill that bowl. I want to get up there and be like, see, I prayed all that. I prayed that. Okay? Side note. Listen to verse nine. They sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, notice, for you were slain. In other words, what? Because you poured out your blood and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. So what does the blood speak here? What does the blood speak here? I want to, I want to encourage you, if you're taking notes, write these down. You can go back. What does the blood speak? Number one, we are purchased. We are purchased. Notice verse nine, you have been redeemed to us. To, I'm sorry, you have, rede- you have redeemed us to God by your blood. Redemption means purchase. You are purchased by God. Listen, listen to Colossians 1 verse 14. In whom we have redemption through what? His blood, the forgiveness of sins. How many of you know the blood speaks? You have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. I'm, I'm preaching better than we're agreeing. You've been purchased. What is the blood speaking? I've bought you. You are mine. I brought you back to me. You you no longer need to live in separation from me anymore, amen? You were purchased. Number two, what does the blood speak? You've been forgiven. Didn't we just read, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the what? The forgiveness of sins. His blood is speaking to hearts and he's speaking today. He's saying, I've forgiven you. Listen, you will never be more forgiven than you are right now. It doesn't matter the shame. It doesn't matter the guilt. It doesn't matter the sin. What did Jesus' blood pay for? What is it saying? You're forgiven. Amen? What does the blood speak? Number three, we are kings and priests. We are kings and priests. He has made us a kingdom by his blood. We're no longer slaves to sin. We reign in life over sin by what? By yielding to Jesus, by casting our life on him. He makes us kings and priests. What does the blood of Jesus speak? Number four, we are covered. We are covered. 
Okay, that's Exodus 12, 13 again, right? That Passover where they apply the blood of Jesus, the plagues and, the, and, the, and death pass over the people of God. It's so interesting to me because what did they do? They took, they took the hyssop, right? They dipped it in blood and they would put it on their doorposts. They, they put it on the lattice and they put it all over the, what's that top part called? That part. I want you to think about this. There's 3 million people delivered that day that applied the blood of Jesus. They applied the blood. It wasn't Jesus's blood. It was the blood of a lamb. Okay, they applied it. But notice the formation. Three million people were delivered and this was on their door. Okay, boom, boom, boom. There was the cross. They put the hyssop, which represents faith. They put it on the door, which represents the heart of people, and they were protected. They were covered. Amen? I'm a guessing, if that's 3 million people, what is that, 700, 800,000 homes? We are covered by the blood. What does the blood speak? Number five, we are protected. We are protected. Listen to Job 1, verse 9. Says, so Satan answered the Lord and says, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you, talking about the Lord, not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? Satan's saying, listen, I can't get to Job because there's this hedge about him. Well, what is the hedge? What was Job doing just prior to that? He was making sacrifice. How many of you know the blood brings protection? It covers us. It protects us. Listen, I want to encourage you, and this is something that I think that many believers aren't doing enough, where we actually pray the blood over ourselves, where we pray the blood of Jesus over our family, over our church, over our workplace. Listen, there is protection by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Apply it by faith. Apply it over and speak it over your life. How many of you know the way that we apply the blood of Jesus is we what? We speak it, right? Scripture says they, they, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the what? The word of their testimony. How do we overcome? By the blood of the lamb and the what? The word. So your kids go out and you say, I pray the blood of Jesus over my kids. And Lord, I thank you that they are covered, that they are protected, that they are in your grace, that they, are, that they are delivered. Somebody say amen. There's power in the blood of Jesus, amen. We need to understand this. We are protected by, what does the blood speak? We are protected. And number six, listen, this is the last one. What does the blood speak? We're washed. We are washed. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 26, 28. This is during the Last Supper. Jesus says, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission, which means the washing away, the removal of sins. What does the blood speak? You're washed. Listen, you may come in dirty. You may come in having picked up some things from this world. You're walking in it. You're living in it. And it's residue, it's all over you. And there is a solution. 
It's the blood of Jesus. Apply the blood. Receive it. By faith. Somebody say amen.